Just two days after getting her driver's license, Lisa Al goes missing, leaving only her car and becomes one of Hawaii's most infamous cases. We are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. Lisa Au is 19 years old. She was a hairdresser in Kailua, Hawaii. She had just completed eight months of training at Trendsetters Beauty College in Honolulu and was excited and proud of her new career. She was a daughter to Chester and Patrice Au. She also had a seven-year-old little sister, Mei Lee. And they have all sorts of like nice memories together, like visiting Knott's Berry Farm, Six Flags, and seeing Star Wars in theaters. Okay, I can already tell this family is just the bomb.com, the taste alone. I mean, Star Wars and Six Flags, like, come on. I'm, I'm already excited. I know, right? So I knew you would like that. Um, <laughs> but So Lisa also had a boyfriend named Doug Holmes. He went to the University of Hawaii and studied engineering. He has a sister named Kristen that lives like nearby in an apartment building called the Makiki. On January 21st, 1982, Lisa got off work at the salon and told co-workers that she was headed over to Doug's sister's apartment. She stopped to pick up dinner, and I have to mention what the dinner is because it's poke. Oh, and my God. <laughs> no, I know, but reading it just gave me huge cravings, and I just felt like I had to say something about it. <laughs> anyway, so she picked up the poke, and then she went to go hang out. And I do want to mention that it is, like, against her mother's wishes because the weather was very crazy that night. I mean, I wouldn't have listened to my mom either. It sounds like a bomb night with good food and friends. Like, I'd go out. I know. <laughs> Sorry, literally. mom. She, I mean, she's a teenager, basically. Like, so, yeah, I don't blame her. And that's exactly how <laughs> I thought, too. But um, this night was nothing that anyone expected. First of all, I think it's important to note that it was downpouring. Like I said that the weather was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. The road conditions were less than ideal. And her mother was like scared and upset not only because of that, but because she had just gotten her driver's license two days prior. Um, But anyway, around midnight with the road still really bad, Lisa left Doug's sister's apartment and never returned home. Please don't tell me she got into an accident. I mean, like, I've had my driver's license for, like, what, four years now, and I still don't know how to drive, let alone, like, drive and downpouring rain. I know. No, she didn't exactly get into an accident. But the next day, when no one had heard from her, um, Lisa's parents call Doug at his University of Hawaii dorm, and he tells them he hasn't seen her, but that he'll go out looking for her. He subsequently called the police because he ends up finding her car, a 1976 Toyota, parked on the shoulder of the highway in Mauna Willi, near the Kailua Drive-In. Okay, so how far away from Doug's sister's apartment is this? Like, did she get very far? Honestly, it doesn't really say, but I have to assume that all of this stuff is, like, in pretty close proximity, especially, like, you've got to take into account, like, 
when you first got your license, were you really driving a ton, like, to different uh, faraway places? Like, I was kind of in the same, like, 10-mile radius for, like, a good year. <laughs> I was saying, my parents fully didn't trust me. Yeah. So, me neither. I didn't trust myself. They didn't trust me. It was just a yeah. circle of non-trust, but... <laughs> So then what did the police do? So they they do end up taking the tip and they they go to investigate her car and she's not inside. But what's interesting about the scene is that the driver's side window is rolled halfway down and the car is flooded because remind you, it, it was raining. So it's soaked on the seats and the floors. However, her purse is on the driver's seat and dry. So, and and the what? police also say, like, it's clear that the car had been wiped clean of evidence. Okay, so me just jumping ahead, I'm assuming that purse was definitely planted there. And I'm just confused why someone would intentionally leave it there, too. Like, were they in a rush? Are they trying to send a message? I'm just, it doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> What's I new? know, right? Like, I feel like it's so sketchy. Like, what motive would someone have to return the purse to the car? You know what I mean? Like, they they also notice, um, the police notice, that her driver's license is not inside her purse. So by this point, the police are kind of putting together maybe Lisa had been pulled over, which would explain why the window was rolled down and why her license is missing. I mean, that makes sense. I've heard of so many cases where people are getting, well, people get tricked into being pulled over by like a quote unquote cop or someone posing as a cop. And, you know, just for our listeners, I think it's important for everyone to know what to do in a situation if you are unsure if the car pulling you over is an actual police officer. So one thing you can do about that is you can literally just call 911 and ask them to confirm that the vehicle is an authorized police vehicle. Mm-hmm. No, I know. I totally agree. And you can also turn on your hazards like to acknowledge that you're being pulled over, but then like drive to a police station or a public location where you feel more safe. But this isn't exactly the route that this case takes. The police actually eventually start to focus in on one of their own. Really? Even though they don't have a body yet, because the circumstances and how the car was wiped clean of evidence they are sort of aware that they should be treating this like a homicide. A 10-day search ensues with literally thousands of flyers distributed throughout the island, and everyone at this point knows Lisa's names and to be looking for her. Um, Newspapers were filled with stories of women who said men in mysterious police-type cars attempted to pull them over, Soldiers and other volunteers combed the island, mainly the windward side, looking for Lisa. Psychics even came forward to venture guesses as to where the body would be found, but none of them ever ended up panning out. On January 31st, 1982, Lisa was found by a man walking his dog. Her body was found decomposing in a ravine off Tantalus Drive. Because of the circumstances with the car, they rule it a homicide officially. A few days later, a Kailua supermarket cashier identifies the police officer, Thomas Byrne, as the person who pulled her over on the Pali Highway the night Ow disappeared. Byrne is suspended from the force the same day. Wait, so they're moving really fast. I'm assuming this is, like, really good news then, because normally they take forever. 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely um, can be a really good thing. Fast is good in an investigation, but going too fast can leave a lot of room to overlook things, intentionally or unintentionally. But at this point, it does seem really great how fast the police are moving. And after Byrne's name is leaked, um, a woman comes forward and she says basically that she was in like a a ride along with him and he was inappropriate with her. So now they're just like, okay, this is our guy. So they think. So they bring in trained dogs to search Byrne's car for Lisa's scent and the dogs alert to Byrne's truck. Okay, so then this seems like an open and shut case then, right? It does seem like that. So in August of 1982, a grand jury begins hearing evidence of the case. The police seriously go through extraordinary lengths to get an indictment here. Like, they even bring in a a hypnotist and have one of their officers, Michael Refill, improve his memory. Do Do they think he witnessed something that night? So, Ruffelt was directing traffic that night, but he claims that he never saw Lisa's Toyota. Here, I feel like the best way for me to detail this to you is just, like, if I read a direct quote from him. He says, quote, I really didn't want it to be Tommy Byrne. I was really, really hoping it was not a policeman because I just saw all the ramifications of this. The public is not going to trust us, but I have yet to place Byrne behind the wheel of that car. And I know that if I did, that's going to nail it shut. And I'm not going to say I saw it if I don't remember seeing it to nail it shut for them. And it obviously didn't end up nailing it shut for them because the grand jury failed to indict Tommy Burns. That's so interesting. I mean, if he doesn't really think it's a police officer, do they have any other suspects? So, yes. Um, But none that they're looking into at this point. By May of 1983, there still had been no arrests. So Chester and Patrice Al, Lisa's parents, hire an attorney, Roy Chang, to sue the city for negligence. He hired private investigator Burt Corneal, who actually was a police lieutenant in the criminal investigation division and was in charge of the homicide detail when Lisa's body was found. Corneal begins to challenge Nelson Lum, the lead detective on this case. In June, police finally had Lisa's body exhumed for more answers. The body was so badly decomposed that they still could not really find the cause of death, but they were able to rule out natural causes. Okay, okay. And all right, so what did the PI find? Or what did he come up with? So, on Saturday, August 6th, 1983, Corneal interviews a woman named Charlotte Kamaka. I'm sorry, who? (laughs) This just seems so far out of left field. I know, exactly. We're like, why didn't she come up before? So, Charlotte was a newspaper delivery driver, and she had been doing a route on Tantalus the night that Lisa went missing. She said... A man drove by her on Tantalus in a blue car at about 2.30 in the morning with a female passenger who, quote-unquote, appeared to be asleep or unconscious. She said she was alerted by that because the woman's head fell when the car made a turn. She got a good look at the driver as he turned around in a paved lookout. She said when the car made the turn, he just stopped and stared at her. 
And there was no female passenger in the car anymore. Oh, I, oh, I would have I, shocked. <laughs> I would be freaked out. But if she saw all this a year ago, why is she just now coming forward? So actually, she did come forward a year ago. When Lisa's body was found, Charlotte Kamaka went to the police immediately and tried to file a report. She says a detective took down her information and then just never contacted her again. And she even went as far as to follow up often asking the police what they were doing, and she just never got any answers. So, I mean, what exactly is going on here? She even followed up with her report and they were like, nah, we're good. It's fine. What? Right. So Cornel is on the same page as we are at this point. Like, he's wondering why in the world is this extremely damning witness never really getting to share her side? And why haven't the police listened to her? Cornel is thinking there is another suspect here. There's got to be. Nelson Lum says, quote, I have no facts or witnesses to say that this second suspect did or did not do it. So that, I mean, basically he's evasive. And Nelson Lum is like, yeah, yeah, I got a second suspect, but uh, there's nothing to say he did or did not do it. And it's like, well, that's the whole point of investigation, is it not? (laughs) Can you You got to find the the things, Nelson? Like, And we just have no idea who the second suspect is then? Well, the second suspect is none other than the boyfriend. Not Doug Holmes. Not Mm -hmm. Doug Holmes. Yes. Turns out that the officer who investigated the car the morning that Doug reported it missing actually also noted that Doug had scratches on his face. It is also revealed that a man who worked as a security guard at Doug's sister's apartment witnessed him and Lisa fighting before they both left that night. And all this information was just overlooked? Um, what? I know. Yeah. So Nelson Lum actually, I guess, took Doug in and had him do two polygraphs, both of which he failed. So then my question is, why is Nelson still convinced of this cop theory? Like, at some point, I'm just not with it anymore. It's not believable to me. And the boyfriend is seeming more and more plausible. Yeah. And I don't know, like, if you think about it, why would an officer who pulled her over, took her license and killed her, have left the window of her car open? Like, why would they have returned her purse dry and without her license and just like not think to close the window? Like, this is a police officer. He's trained. He knows investigations. Like, he knows how it goes. He would close the window. You know what I mean? It's just it just doesn't add up as beautifully as it seemed. No, it's all starting to seem very, very staged. And it's definitely, this case is definitely taking a turn now as like more and more information is coming out. Mm-hmm. So Nelson Lum's biggest reason for turning a blind eye to the polygraph failures is, and I quote, no third party involved, which ruled out jealousy, no money involved. There was no baby coming. There was no reason for him to do it. I mean, come on, we have known, (laughs) we know people who have killed for much less, for no reason at all, I mean. Has he, like, ever heard of a crime of opportunity? Just, 
Right. I mean, literally, like, I remember growing up, there was, like, a case of a man who shot another guy dead because he was playing music too loud at a gas station. Like, where was Nelson Lum to be like, "Uh uh-uh, circumstances don't add up here. Like, (laughs) it just, as an investigator, no, as a lead investigator, you would think he would have the decency to vet every possibility, not just money, a baby, or jealousy. Like, there's other... it's, yeah. People have killed for much less. Much, much less. <sighs> much less. Anyway, turns out that Doug Holmes even admitted that he was trying to end the relationship because he was, quote, going to college, being educated, while Lisa was more or less staying still education-wise. Which, I mean, what a jerk. I know. And, like, here's the thing. She went to school. She has a career. She was really happy about it. Who is he? Who is Doug yeah. Holmes to say that <laughs> she's staying still education-wise? Enough. Right. I Like, and it's just amazing how this is all coming out now, really. Because I feel like in the beginning, he was painted to be, like, pretty nice and even helpful. And he just seems like a complete jerk now. I know. So now Cornel does some more digging. Actually, he does a pretty bare minimum amount of digging before he finds something absolutely nuts. So it seems like the five minutes he was put on the case, he's finding out more than what the police did in a year. Tell me about it. So (laughs) do you remember that poke that Lisa brought to Kristen's apartment the night she disappeared? The one that I had to mention? I was going to say the one that you were raving over. Yeah, I remember. (laughs) I need poke now. Well... (laughs) Cornel goes back to the place that she bought it. Like, you know, a normal detective or anybody with a brain would do. Like, retrace the steps of the person who was murdered. Right? Right. So he does. And it turns out she wrote a check to buy the poke that night. And she showed her ID to the cashier like you do when you write out a check. And she left her ID at the store. I'm... It just seems like at every possible turn, the police just failed Lisa. No, truly. And like, because for them to craft a whole theory and and throw one of their own under the bus over Mm -hmm. this one piece of evidence that the ID wasn't in her purse. I just. It just seems insane. Like. Not to mention that, like, she's had her license for two days. She had her ID for literally two days. So it's not crazy that maybe she just forgot it somewhere. She's not used to carrying it around, you know? Like, yeah, it's the fact that they made a whole entire case on that one piece of thing that they didn't even bother to, like, really vet. It's just so at this point, a new medical examiner is brought in from L.A., And he analyzed the remains of, like, September 11th victims and Jeffrey Dahmer's victims, so. Okay, he has the credentials to back him up. What does he find out? So, well, when the body is exhumed, they find out that Lisa's remains were still in a police body bag. She was buried in a police body bag. They didn't even clean the body or anything. They literally found leaves and dirt inside the bag with her. So they take a look at the skull and the jawbone, but the results were, like, never made public, so not really sure there. But 
So the forensic anthropologist Robert Mann over at the University of Hawaii said he would be interested in taking another look too. I mean, this just screams that the police really did not care about Lisa from the start. It's very apparent. I mean, to bury someone in a police body bag, it's just, it's so shocking to me. Like, not an ounce of respect at all. And they jumped the gun just to clean it up and solve it and just do whatever it took. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I know. It's It clearly just shows that they had no like feeling or need to honor the victim even a little like this person was taken from this earth in a horrific way and the least that they could have done is dust her off simply at the very least but so turns out there's some dispute about the skull and jawbone the police say the emmy has it and the emmy said it's returned to the grave so okay like Tell me what that means. Like, what? I mean, so Lisa's family would have to disturb her grave for a second time for answers that, like, they feel more than entitled to at this point. Right. And then, and it's just like these two guys pointing fingers at each other and no one's telling the true story. So what if they disturb her grave and the skull and the jawbone are just not even there? Like, how do you lose a skull and a jawbone? Isn't some isn't it somebody's job to like write down where these things are? Like Yeah, and at least keep track of it. I mean, think about how traumatizing that's gonna be for her family. Exactly. So I mean, yeah, it's just absolutely crazy. Um, May Lee, Lisa's sister, who was just seven years old in 1982, she is now an adult, of course, and is pushing for law enforcement to try again. Lisa's murder unfortunately drove her parents apart, and they divorced in 1990, and now they are both deceased. So, Mei Li is fighting harder than ever to get answers. Okay, where is this, where is everything now in this investigation? Well, so the Honolulu PD actually just opened up a cold case squad in 2018, so they are taking another look. However... Key witnesses in this case are now deceased. Kamaka, the newspaper delivery driver, passed away in 2017, and Thornburg, the security guard at the apartment complex, also has passed away. I mean, I'm sure there's a million theories about what could have happened. I mean, to me, it seems like the boyfriend, Doug, is somehow involved, but the way Lisa's body was discovered and how the scene was so planted makes me think that maybe someone else could be involved like were you able to find any other theories i mean so i did come across a lot of blogs that speculate on what could have happened and i think a few are worth noting one several theories have emerged that she was on her way home when she was stopped and abducted from that kailua location or that she was killed elsewhere And the vehicle was staged in Kailua to make it look like that is where she was stopped. That's what Gary Diaz, a former HPD homicide lieutenant, thinks. And another one. Remember Kristen, Doug's sister with the apartment? Yeah. Well, there is some speculation that she had been romantically involved with a detective who was getting her cocaine. The lead detective on Lisa's case, Nelson Lum. No. Allegedly, Lum was busted for cocaine and the story was kept very quiet. Byrne, 
the police officer who they tried to make take the fall before had known about this and the entire thing was just a big framing to keep him quiet. Honestly, this answers my questions of like, well, why would a police officer who murdered her go back and leave the purse there dry and not close the window? Because like, oh, it's because they wanted us to think it was a police officer, not because it actually was. But again, it's not from like a credible news source. It's just from a blog. So take that with a grain of salt. I mean, that does seem like a possibility. Like it does. This case does give me hints of like something bigger may have been going on, possibly just of how fast they were to convict Byrne for, Mm -hmm. you know, Lisa's death. But at this point, I feel like everything gets mixed up with speculation. We just end up not having any of the answers we really need. I know. Cornel said, quote, I think they should reassess the investigation in its entirety, both what was done in the private sector and with the police. If they start from square one, they can determine who was responsible. I mean, that's just it. Right? Like, that's just the best thing they could do for Lisa. I mean, this case never mm-hmm. got off to a great start anyway. And they, like I said, they jumped the gun at every possible turn. They didn't even go to investigate where she got her food that night or retrace any of her steps. So starting right. from scratch would give them a whole new perspective to work with. And now that we have more answers, maybe they can give May Lee some peace. Oh, absolutely. Because I cannot imagine that May Lee is, like, aware of... All of the things, all of their shortcomings the first time around. I can't imagine her just being like, that, oh, that must be it. Like, she's probably thinking there's so many lingering shortcomings that haven't come to light yet that she's waiting on for the answers, you know? Oh, fully. Um, she said, quote, my parents are gone and they know what happened now. Now, just the living want to know. A lot of our family and our friends close to us want to know, unquote. May Lee and all of Lisa's loved ones deserve answers. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod. And Twitter at the Chalkline Pod. And be sure to check out our website. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.